That is a question that we've been asking each other as a church. We have a wall filled up with individuals who have written their one on that wall where the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We've challenged ourselves to share the, the gospel message of Jesus Christ with at least one person in between now and Easter Sunday. We've started our 30 days of prayers that will culminate on Easter Sunday. And so if you haven't got one of those prayer guides, they're out there on the table right outside when you walk out of the worship center. And so as you've seen, if you've been following along in that prayer guide, that the prayers are all about that individual and praying for that individual. It is always uh, better to talk to God about your neighbor before you talk to your neighbor about God. Uh, ask God to come in and, and to move in their hearts and their lives. And so I want to encourage you and invite you to participate uh, in that with us. Uh, today we're going to continue on in our sermon series, Revival, where we've been looking at in Scripture what it looks like when God really moves in and through his people his people really return back to him. They, they repair what is in disarray of their life. They, they return back to prayer. They return back to God's word. They're, they're repentant that they have removed idols from their life, that they have begun to restore worship in their life as a priority. We've seen what that's looked like in God's word uh, with his people and then also through church history. And so today we are going to look at that fruit of revival, true revival, when God gets a hold of his people in such a unique and a special way that today we are going to look at the fruit of evangelism. That when we truly set our hearts on God Almighty, when we truly have repaired what is in disarray of our life, returned to prayer and God's word, when we've removed idols and repented of our sins and restored worship in our heart, that the, the subsequent fruit of that is for us to go share the good news of Jesus Christ with those that are around us. And so today, uh, um, uh, we'll be looking at that. Now, this coming Saturday, we, we have an evangelism training to where we can learn how to share the gospel with those that are around us. It starts at 9 o'clock. It'll go to 2. We've got lunch in between, a few breaks mixed in. We've got child care provided. And so we want everybody to come Saturday at 9 o'clock to participate in this evangelism training. Now, some individuals will say, I know how to share the gospel. Now, let me address that real quick before we get into our text. Amen. I'm glad that you do. I would say that Tom Brady is probably the greatest individual to ever throw a football. Now, I hate to say that because I'm a New York Jets fan, and I don't like Tom Brady, and I don't like the Patriots, but I'll give credit where credit is due. He's probably the greatest quarterback that has ever played the game. Yet this year, I believe his 20th in the NFL, he's at training camp. Throwing a football, something that he has probably mastered to the point that people would say he knows how to throw a football pretty good. But yet he's at training camp because he understands that there's always room for improvement. And to keep those skills harnessed and, and sharp, he needs to do those through repetition. So even if you would say, I know how to share the gospel, even if you would say, I've mastered the sharing of the gospel, then please come because there's a lot of us that haven't and we would love to hear from you. We practice what it is we intend to do. My fear is that sometimes 
we have no intention of really sharing the gospel. And so, therefore, we have no real intention of coming and being trained. I pray that we will have a room full of individuals that say, I want to be better at sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those that are around me on Saturday. I pray that you guys will be here for that. Today, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 7. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles, it's 2 Kings chapter 7, find verse 3, 2 Kings 7, verse 3. We're going to, to see... Uh, a passage of scripture that is going to have deep spiritual realities for us today as we look at what transpires here in this text. It's a message that I've entitled, A Day of Good News. How many people know that today is a day of good news? That any day on this side of the cross of Calvary is a day of good news because we have a Savior who has defeated sin, who has defeated death. The stone has been rolled away. Our Savior is alive. He sits upon the throne of King of Kings as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he's given us victory. Every day that we have breath in our lungs, this side of the cross, guess what? It's a day of good news. Now, think about how often it is. Let me phrase this question this way. Is it more common for you to go through a day underneath the grace and the mercy of God Almighty to give you breath in, in your lungs is it more common for you to, to, to go through the day without having shared the gospel with at least one person? Or is that more uncommon? So when you think about, I've woken up this morning underneath the grace of God. He's given me my house. He's given me breath in my lungs. He's given me the ability to, to, to speak. But when I lay my head down tonight, is it more common that you have gone through the day without sharing the gospel with at least one person? Or is that, is that something that is uncommon? I think if we're being honest with each other, it's probably more common for us to go underneath the grace and the mercy of God Almighty through a whole day without sharing the gospel with at least one person. And that is a sad reality of the church. Because we have been commissioned by the one that has been given all authority in heaven and on earth to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In our text today, we are going to encounter uh, what we will see physical realities teaching us spiritual truths. But there have been days in, in our lives, there have been days in the history of this world that have been days of good news, that we would say, this is good news. This needs to be shared. This needs to be celebrated. Other people need to know about that. The end of World War II would be an example of that. VE Day, VJ Day, those were causes for great celebration. The enemy has been defeated. The allies are uh, victorious. That war is over. Let's celebrate that. Other individuals need to know about that reality and that truth as a subsequent result of that. When, when I was 10 years old in November of 1989, the Berlin Wall came crashing down. And many of y'all may remember that. Some of you may not. Uh, that may date me a little bit. I was 10 years old when this happened in November of 1989. The Berlin Wall came crashing down. Families that had been separated are now joined back together. This is a day of good news. This is a cause of celebration. What about when 10 years before I was born in 1969, when a man walked on the surface of the moon for the very first time? That's a day of good news. It's a day of celebration. That's a day that, that needs to be shared with other individuals. 
But there's also days in our own personal life that we want other individuals to celebrate with us. We want other individuals to know about. We want other individuals to come and to be a part of that, like the days we get married. And she's just as beautiful today as she was then. And if you don't know, I'm in love. I'm in, I'm in love. Uh, the day that, that I became a husband and, and a father. But what about the birth of a child? This is my seven-year-old. Uh, well, she wasn't seven in the picture. She was born at a really young age. Uh, she, this is Ava. And then God has blessed us with uh, AJ. Uh, so we have three beautiful uh, children. This is cause for celebration. This is a day of good news. Can I tell you, there's a day that's greater than any of the, all those rolled up into one. It's the day that that tomb had that stone rolled out from underneath it and away from it. And Jesus Christ stepped out victorious, having defeated sin and death. That's a day of good news. And it's a day that we shouldn't keep to ourselves. Amen? We're going to see in our text today, we're going to see the reality of a day of good news. And we're going to see how it foreshadows the day of the gospel message. You know, gospel means good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ means good news. That's exactly what it means. And I pray that today when you walk out of here, you know that today is a day of good news. Now, in our text today, what we are going to find is we're going to find the city of Samaria is under siege. Now, last week we looked at King Josiah, and we are 200 years before what we looked at in 2 Kings 23 last week. So here in 2 Kings 7, this is about 200 years before that, in the northern kingdom, the capital city of Samaria, the Syrians who are on the eastern border of Israel have come in and they've been doing raiding uh, parties into Israel territory. But there's been subsequent peace for a little while until the king of Syria decides that he's going to come in and he's going to attack the northern kingdom. And as a result, they come in, they defeat all of the fortified cities around Samaria, and they besiege Samaria to the point that a famine has broken out in Samaria. Now, there are four lepers outside the city gates of Samaria, and they become so despairing that they decide that they're going to go into the Syrian camp, and if they get killed, they get killed. But what happens is God causes a miraculous victory to transpire unbeknownst to everybody in the city and unbeknownst to those four lepers. He causes them to believe that an army from the north, the Hittites, and an army from the south, the Egyptians, are coming to the northern kingdom's rescue, and they flee back to their city and their territory and their empire to the east. And they come in and they find this encampment of the Syrians totally abandoned. And there's all kinds of provisions and food and, and, and treasures that have been left behind. And they get that. And they realize that back in that city of destruction, there are individuals who don't know anything about this great victory that God has given. And they take it upon themselves to go and share the good news of what had transpired with those who had absolutely no idea what had happened. Leith Anderson, the great theologian and, and author, he defines evangelism like this. It's the ones that know telling the ones who don't. 
It's the ones who have experienced the deliverance of God telling the ones who have yet come to faith in him. That's what evangelism is, and that is what we will see in our text today. Now, uh, there are really four parts of this passage that I want to break down. The first are the individuals that we will be introduced to, and that's the outcasts. The first individuals that we will meet are the outcasts. No, 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 not them. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson, not them. I'm talking about the lepers that we find in verses 3 and 4. We encounter the outcasts. Now, these lepers are literally individuals who have been cast out of society. They have been cast out of the city. These individuals have been given a death sentence. In the days of 2 Kings 7 and in the days of Jesus as well, those that were stricken with leprosy, were not allowed to come into the city. They were not allowed to come into their homes. They were dispelled. They were kicked out of the camp. They were kicked out of, they couldn't come into the temple. They couldn't even embrace their family. Anybody they touched became unclean ceremonially. In fact, they would have to walk around and anytime they encountered another individual, they would have to cover their mouth and they would have to say, unclean, unclean. Now you think about that. These individuals could have gone decades without holding their children, embracing their wife or their husband, and they were looked upon as individuals that were completely hopeless and helpless, and they were at the mercy of everybody else to give them something so that they could survive. And so we're, we encounter these four individuals that are outside of the city gates of this city that is, under that is under siege to the point that a great famine has broken out. And what we see is that these were individuals who were destitute. Look at verse 3. When it says, now there were four men who were lepers, you got to understand that they were destitute. They had nothing in, they couldn't work. They had no means in and of themselves to earn any kind of money to buy any kind of sustenance for them to live. Church, understand this. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are completely destitute. There is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to pay the price that our sin has created and caused for us. But out of the great mercy and love of God Almighty, he has bestowed grace upon us through faith in Christ for us to be healed and for that, that price to be paid. But these individuals are completely destitute. Not only that, they were dying. Look at verse 3. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? There was no cure for leprosy found until 1940. Think about that. This was a death sentence. They understood that they were dying. They had been kicked out of the city and left to die. It was just a matter of time. Now, there's also an army that has besieged this city. There's a famine breaking out. They know that they are dying. Listen, apart from Jesus Christ, those that have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, they are lost and they are dying. But we're going to see in our text today, God has a plan. It's a plan of good news. We also see that these were individuals who were despairing. Because they understood that, that they were dying, because they understood that there was really no hope, they came to a moment of despair. 
And church, those that are outside of the four walls that don't know Jesus Christ, whether they want to admit it or not, they live a life of despair, clutching and grabbing at all kinds of things for the world to suffice and to fill them, only to find that none of those things can do what it is they desire to find within them. Look at verse 4. It says, if we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. In other words, they said, listen, it doesn't matter if we live or die. No matter what we do, live or die, it really doesn't matter. They came to a point. Have you ever been so broken? Have you ever been so low in your life that you didn't care whether you lived or died? Life had absolutely no meaning. You had absolutely no hope. Have you ever been, I can tell you times in my life where I got to the point where I did not care whether I lived or I died. I remember holding a gun to my head on several occasions, wondering what, what, what is on the other side of this? Why, why, should, why should I not do this? What is the point of any of this? And little be known to the four lepers and those individuals that were sitting in that city of destruction that just a short walk this way was victory and deliverance given by God Almighty. You see, for us to understand how great the good news is, we got to understand how bad the situation actually is. For us to understand how beautiful the cross of Calvary is, we have to understand how dark and how bad hell is, right? See, it's become taboo for for us. It's become taboo for us in the church. It's become taboo for us in society to talk about sin and hell. But you'll never understand the beauty of the grace of God and the salvation of Jesus Christ until you understand the brutality, the darkness, and the despair that is found in the pits of hell. You'll never understand that. You'll never fully appreciate the cross until you understand the doctrine of hell. You want to know how bad it had gotten in Samaria? Go back in chapter chapter 6. And look in verse 25. King, the king of Samaria had mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. Verse 25. And there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of a cob of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Now, that's pretty bad. When you eat, I ain't never had donkey before, but I'm going to guess the head's probably not the best part. They're eating donkey's head and dove dung. Y'all might be okay with it. I don't know. I read this text, and I'm thinking things have gotten pretty bad in Samaria. Now, as the king of Israel, verse 26, was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, help my Lord, O king. And he said, if the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And the king asked her, what is your trouble? She answered, this woman, so two women have come up to the king. This woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. 
And on the next day I said to her, give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. That is the wickedness and the depravity that man had sunk to. And we read this and we think that's just shocking. Let me tell you something outside of these four walls. In the brokenness of this world that we live in. Man is just as depraved now as they were then. But little did they know, just a short walk away was victory and deliverance on a scale they'd never experienced before. They didn't know. But these individuals, these outcasts, were going to go. And in verse 5, we see they come to the outpost. Verses 5 through 8, we see these individuals in this outpost, this Syrian encampment, this outpost. They decide we're just going to go there and maybe they'll have mercy on us. Maybe they kill us. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we live or die. And they come into the encampment and what they find is the Syrian army has fled because God has brought a miraculous victory. It wasn't anything the Israeli army did. It wasn't anything that the lepers were able to do. It was sheerly by God Almighty supplying for them a victory. There is nothing that you can do to defeat sin and death. It's sheerly by the grace of God that we have victory in Jesus Christ. So what do they find? Well, it says in verse 5, they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites coming from the north and the kings of, the, of Egypt coming from the south to come against us. And so what is it that they find when they come into the camp? Well, first and foremost, they find fulfillment. Now, remember, they were starving. They were already at the very mercy of individuals' grace to give them food before the siege. And now the individuals that they had relied upon to give them some kind of scraps or to throw them some kind of little something to eat, they're inside the city walled up eating donkey's heads. They ain't got nothing to give to them. So they come in, and what do we read in verse 8 when they come into this empty, abandoned camp? These lepers came to the edge of the camp. They went into a tent and ate and drank. You ever been hungry? I mean, like hungry, hungry. Where, where you come in, and I mean, you just come into the refrigerator and whatever is in it, you just eat. You ain't got time to cook nothing. I mean, you just hungry. You just putting mustard on pickles and grabbing little stale pepperonis that are left over that are kind of in the back of the shell. You ever been hungry? I'm talking about ramen noodles sound like uh, uh, absolute seven course cuisine. You ever, you ever been hungry? And then you ate something and you came down and it wasn't just ramen noodles. You ever been that hungry that you would eat anything and then down, all of a sudden there's a spread? Listen, this is an army that has been given provisions to withstand the siege for a long time. They come in and they find all kinds of food and drink. And man, they, they are able to experience what they weren't able to do in their life previously. Listen, when you come into the camp of Jesus Christ, he fills you up with things that you could never dream or imagine. He fills you up. The psalmist would say this in Psalm uh, 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. Jesus would say, all those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, guess what? They will be filled. They will be filled. Have you tasted and seen the Lord is good? 
Have you, I mean, have you tasted and seen that the Lord, he's good. The Lord at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now in Psalm 22, verse 26, God's word says this. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. The world offers nothing that will satisfy you. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. When you step into the camp of Jesus Christ in faith, what you find is fulfillment. Secondly, what you find is fortune. Now, not materialistic fortune that some people try to make uh, God into be this genie in the lamp. But listen, look at verse 8. It says, they carried off silver and gold and clothing. Now, again, he's teaching us spiritual realities, spiritual truths through these physical realities. You know what God has given us in Christ Jesus? He's given us great riches. Read Ephesians 1. I want to challenge you to go home this very day and read Ephesians 1. It talks about all those who have placed their faith in Christ Jesus. It says you're now holy and blameless. Boy, that's a rich treasure right there. It says that you're adopted into his forever family. That's a rich treasure right there. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. You've been given an inheritance and sealed with the Holy Spirit. Listen, he has given us eternal riches in Christ Jesus. In fact, we see in Colossians 1.27, we see this reality. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the great riches of God Almighty? It's that you're in Christ and Christ is in you. That the same spirit that rose him from the dead now dwells in you and will raise you from the dead on that day. That we have a great eternal treasure that has been given to us by God Almighty. And when we step into the camp of Christ, we are given great riches and great treasures. But thirdly, they found freedom. Look back in verse 7. So they come in to this camp, and they see that the army had fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. The very enemy that had pressed them in, the very enemy that had surrounded them, had now fled. They had freedom. They found freedom. When we step into the camp of Jesus Christ in faith, ultimately, we find freedom. We find that our enemy has been defeated and that we have victory in Christ Jesus. Galatians 5.13 says this. Galatians 5.13 tells us that it was for freedom that we have, you were called the freedom brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In other words, these individuals came into this camp and they find all of this camp to be abandoned and they're having their fill of food and they're having their their fill of, of drink, but they come to a point where they realize that they need to be doing something. Because for them to stay there in light of their understanding that there's a city of destruction where people are starving to death to the point that they're eating their own children and heads of donkeys. To stay there would be using their freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, how many of us as followers of Jesus Christ know that those that are separated from God by their sin, if they do not repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ, will be separated from him for all of eternity. And even though we've experienced the grace of God, we use the freedom we've been given to live our days out focused in on ourselves. 
Is it more common for you to go through a day sharing the gospel or not sharing the gospel? How are you stewarding your salvation? The fact that you've been filled, the fact that you've been given fortunes, the fact that you've been given freedom in Christ Jesus. Are you just using all of that on yourself and going about your day and everything is focused on you and what you can get out of this world? Or do you realize that there's a loss in the dying world, there's a city of destruction, that individuals have no clue that this is going on that need to hear the message that says you don't have to stay in that city of destruction and starve anymore. Christ has provided everything you need if you'll just step out of there and walk in in faith to him and receive his blessings. We had a men's prayer breakfast yesterday, and Ken Elliott shared his story about being in the ICU wing, uh, having COVID, and being in this room with other individuals separated by, by a curtain, and this one man on, on his right side, his first neighbor, uh, when he got moved into ICU, even though he had an IV in, he was a little bit delirious, and he did ended up dying. But for the first 48 hours, he said, without pause, without stop, this man would just cry out, can I please have a, a sip of water? Can I just have a sip of water? Now, you think about that for 48 hours. Just a sip of water. Now, Ken shared that after 48 hours of that, he slipped into his flesh and said that he just wanted him to shut up. He's sick. He, he feels like he's dying. And he just wants some peace. Just, just be quiet. Just, just a sip of water. I don't know. I would have made 48 hours. I don't know. I would have made 48 hours. How many people that are in this lost and dying world crying out, can I, can I just have a sip of water? Can somebody tell me how I can, how I can live? Oh, they may not, they might not say they need Jesus, but the way they live their life. It's a cry out into the world. Somebody help me. And how many times do we get to the point that we just, just be quiet. Lost people, why are you acting like you're lost? Just be quiet. Just, just, just be quiet. And they're crying out from the depths of their soul. Can somebody give me some living water? Shh. Be quiet over there. Shh. I'm trying to go about my life. I'm trying to be comfortable. For those that have been filled for those that have experienced the riches that are found in Christ Jesus, that have been given freedom, we waste that salvation when we use it upon ourselves and fail to leave where it is that we have found that and go and tell those individuals that are stuck in the city of destruction, you don't have to live there. There's a place where you can come and be filled. There's a place you can come and have the fortunes of eternal riches. There's a place that you can come and you can find freedom. Evangelism is just beggars that have found bread telling other beggars where to find it. Nothing special about us, but there's something special about God Almighty. And those of us that experience that, we need to go and tell other individuals about that. 
And as a result, their outlook changes. They're not focused on themselves. So they're running around, they're finding all these treasures, they're hiding it, they're eating all of this food. And then they come to a point through conviction of God Almighty. And look at verse nine. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. And as a result, they became motivated. They became motivated as a result of understanding what it is that God had done. Now listen, they're going back to a city of individuals who had kicked them out of the city. Think about this for a second. These are individuals that looked down upon them, that didn't want anything to do with them, that probably made fun of them. There are some extra biblical texts that said that when a leper was coming towards somebody, they would pick up rocks and they would run them off so that they wouldn't come near. These were individuals that lived at the very mercy of the individuals that were inside of this famine city to throw them scraps every once in a while. But yet they're going to go tell them about what God had done. See, we can malign certain groups of individuals. We can malign certain people in this world. And we can say, because maybe they've persecuted the church or they've persecuted us or because they haven't been as nice to us that they don't deserve the gospel. Let me tell you something. Everybody deserves the gospel. Everybody. doesn't matter how they've treated you. It doesn't matter how they treated Christianity or the church. Everybody deserves the gospel because Christ died for everybody. So they're motivated. We're not doing right. This is a day of good news. Not only that, as a result of what transpired in that, that outpost, in that abandoned camp, they were moved. They were moved to action. Look at the second half of verse 9. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. L listen, that's evangelism. Go and tell. Unfortunately, in the church today, we've relegated evangelism to come and see. Come and see. And it's whatever church can put on the greatest production. And we've relegated evangelism to invite cards, and that's the same thing as sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody. Evangelism is putting a church sticker on your back window and just driving around, and we count that as evangelism. That ain't evangelism. Nothing wrong with that, but that ain't evangelism. Evangelism is me telling you the good news of Jesus Christ. That's evangelism. And they were moved. They went and told so they came and called, verse 10. They came and called. Are we going to the ones that are in the city of destruction and calling out to them? You don't have to live like that. You don't have to live in that city. Here's a place of refuge. Here's a place of deliverance. Here's a place of freedom. Come experience what God has done and the victory that he has given. So as a result, they were motivated and moved. And as a result, they became messengers. Look at verse 10. What did they tell them? What, what, what did they tell? Did they tell them some kind of scientific fact? Did they tell them all the Old Testament that they had memorized up to that point? What, what did they tell them? They told them what it is that they had found. They just relayed what it was that they knew. It says that they came to the city gate and told them, we came to the camp of the Syrians and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there, nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. 
sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is just telling other individuals what you know about God, what God has done in your life, telling them the gospel, that God loves them so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die for them so that all those who place their faith in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's just telling the good news that there's freedom, there's fulfillment, there's fortune to be found in Christ Jesus. So they go. Now, what becomes the outcome of them going and telling? Well, it's the outcome of all of those with the message of Jesus Christ. That your sin has separated you from God Almighty, but faith in Christ Jesus will deliver you from that sin. In verses 12 through 20, we we see that outcome. The king heard this and thought that it was a trick, and so he sent some scouts out to go make sure that this was a reality and a truth. And, and those scouts come, and in verse 15 it says, They went after them as far as the Jordan, and behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in their, their haste. So the first thing that we see as an outcome of this reality is that the enemy is defeated. The enemy has been defeated. In fact, the enemy had fled from God Almighty. Listen, when we find ourselves in spiritual warfare in the name of Jesus Christ, the enemy got to flee. The enemy got to run. The enemy doesn't have any power over Jesus Christ. And so when we rest in Jesus Christ and we stand firm upon the promises of God that he has given us, the enemy has got to flee. We have defeated the enemy through Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So many individuals that are followers of Jesus Christ, you're walking around defeated. You're not defeated army. You're not a defeated soldier. You are a victorious individual, child of God and God Almighty. Pick your head up. Put your shoulders back. Puff your chest out a little bit. You're a child of the God most high. Stop walking around defeated. We have victory in Christ Jesus. Secondly, what did they find? Well, what was the outcome? The people were delivered. The enemy was defeated. The people were delivered. They go back and they tell these individuals, they tell them that are trapped in this city of destruction that think they're going to starve to death. Look, there's more food than you could ever dream or imagine. And there's all kinds of treasures in this camp. And they leave out of the city of destruction and they walk in faith into that camp. And that's exactly what it is that they find. Look at verse 16. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a say of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two says of barley for a shekel according to the word of the Lord. These individuals were starving and dying, and at the end of the day, they were filled to the point that they were selling these items at cut rate prices. prices. How many people are living in the city of destruction not knowing that there's freedom to be had by just walking out and in faith into the camp of Christ Jesus? And are we telling them that reality. Now, ultimately, this passage is not necessarily about evangelism. It is. It's housed in that. But ultimately, this passage of Scripture is really about the Word of God being fulfilled, that the Word of God will always be fulfilled. See, back in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 7, the king has come to Elisha, who is the prophet of this day, 
And the king comes to Elisha because he thinks that Elisha is the cause of all of these problems. And he brings with him this officer. And Elisha says in verse 1 of chapter 7, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a say of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two says of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But Elisha said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. In other words, what this individual does is he doubts the word of God. He doubts the validity of the word of God. He doubts the authority of the word of God. He says that ain't going to happen. That ain't true. In fact, what he says is even if God would bring a deluge like in the days of Noah, there still wouldn't be enough time for enough barley or enough wheat to grow for us to be able to do what it is you just said. In fact, if, if God opened up the heavens and allowed manna itself to fall to the ground, we still wouldn't be able to do what it is that you said. He doubted the word of God. And guess what happens to him? Back in verse 17, it says, Now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he had leaned to have charge of the gate, and the people trampled him in the gate so that he died. So what is the outcome of this? The scoffer died. Those individuals who scoff at the word of God, those individuals who reject the word of God, ultimately they will experience the death of eternal separation from God Almighty. Now, listen to what Elisha said. He tells him, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. You know what God's word says? When Christ returns, everybody going to know. On the day of judgment, everybody going to know. Everybody's going to see it with their own eyes. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, but only those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ will get the taste of the eternal riches of the kingdom that is to come. A lot of people, everybody's going to see it, but only those that have placed their faith in Christ are going to taste it. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. That's what we earn for our sin. But here's the good news. Here's the gospel. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Your knee will bow and your tongue will confess. The question is, will you do it on this side of judgment or on that side? Will you bow your heads and your hearts with me? Maybe you're in this room right now and you're wondering if this is true for you personally. In Mark's gospel in the first chapter, we read of a leper who comes to Jesus and he falls down at his feet and he tells Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He asks this question, are you willing? Are you willing to do that for me? Because I believe that if you're willing to do that for me, you can do it. And you know what Jesus' response was to him? I am willing. You may be sitting here wondering, could God really love me? Could God really forgive me? Could God really save me? Christ is willing. There is a camp that is filled with fulfillment, fortune of eternal riches, and freedom. It says you don't have to live in that city of destruction anymore. Step out in faith and come find what it is that Christ has literally died to give you.
If that's you in this place today, separated from God by my sin, I'm a sinner. Man, I'm a sinner. But I'm going to take God at his word that if I call upon the name of Christ, I will be saved. I'm, I'm going to step out in faith. I'm not going to walk by sight. I'm going to walk by faith into the camp of Christ to receive all of the blessings that Christ affords, that eternal life in Christ Jesus, that free gift. If that's you, would you just raise your hand, just acknowledge that in this place today? Separated from God by my sin, but I want to trust him. I want to place my faith in him. If that's you, would you just acknowledge that by raising your hand today? I just want to lead you through a prayer. Anybody in this place today? I see your hand. Anybody in this place today? Anybody else? I'm going to lead you through a prayer. For those of you, the gentleman that raised his hand. There's nothing magical about this prayer whatsoever. It's just an attitude of your heart. It's just a posture of your heart. Just telling God, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm asking you to do. The words don't save you. It's, it's nothing like that. It's just you having the first true, real conversation with God Almighty in your life because you're admitting your great need for Him and He's your only hope. So if every head bowed and eyes closed, you can either pray this out loud or you can just pray this in the quietness of your heart. But as you cry out to God to save you, maybe, maybe you use these words or put them in your own words, but you pray something like this. Gracious Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. And I'm in need of a Savior. The best way I know how, I'm asking you to save me. I'm drowning in the sea of life. I know you're my only hope. Rescue me, God. I believe that Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe he rose on the third day. He defeated sin and death. I'm taking you at your word, God, that all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank you, God, for saving me. Help me to live a faithful and obedient life to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.